This is an ABC podcast. Hi, I'm James Glenday, and this is the Australia Votes podcast. Well, the federal election campaign shifted down a gear today for Anzac Day. Anthony Albanese is, of course, still in quarantine with COVID, and Scott Morrison did a little bit less than normal due to the solemnness of this moment on our national calendar. But today wasn't without some sort of incident. The Defence Minister Peter Dutton dramatically invoked the spectre of Nazi Germany, suggesting that China was on a similar path. And then he rolled out an old Roman adage that one should prepare for peace by preparing for war. Well, Carl, the only, the only way uh, that you can, you can preserve peace is, is to prepare for war and to be strong. Prepare for war is, is pretty provocative. Well, I, I just think that's the lesson of history. To discuss this now, I'm joined uh, by co-host Mel Clark. Uh, Mel, Peter Dutton has used language like this before. Why do you think he's again using it now? Look, this comes obviously off the back of Beijing and Honiara signing a security agreement, much to the frustration of Australia and our Western allies who are very concerned about anything that might enable China's expansion into the Pacific. I think it's interesting that Peter Dutton has chosen Anzac Day to use this kind of language, even though he's used it before, comparing this period to the Nazi build-up in Europe in the 1930s. He's made this comment before, but has stepped it up in the context of an election campaign where the coalition wants to press home the point of national security Mm. and in doing so justify its defence spending, which it can point to as a very real difference as a point in labour of what they had previously done in office, what they're doing in office. So again, we come back to the election circumstances and what we're seeing in the region. Yeah, The PM yesterday said that uh, a Chinese military base in the Solomons or in our backyard, effectively, was a red line. Now, do we know what happens when a red line is crossed or, or what even is a red line? Look, there's some ambiguity, if I could put it that way, from Scott Morrison about what this means. Uh, Throwing out a phrase like a a red line suggests that if this happens, this thing happens as a military base in the Solomon Islands for China, there will be consequences. But we don't know what those consequences are. He's not willing to spell that out. And it reminds us of uh, Barack Obama talking about the Middle East, right? Syria. Well, that's right. And it came to chemical weapons by use of chemical weapons uh, by the Syrian uh, Assad regime was a red line specified by Barack Obama. But then once chemical weapons were used, we didn't see military intervention by Barack Obama. So uh, it's questionable how useful it is to specify that there's a red line here because one, are we willing to follow through? And what does that follow through look like? Brendan O'Connor, the shadow defence minister, is now asking for briefings about what this might be. But B, even the idea of the red line itself is pretty vague because what actually constitutes having a military base in the Solomon Islands for, for China? I mean, it's contested as to whether you would consider China's presence in the South China Sea currently, the infrastructure there, is that equivalent to a military base or not? Uh, there would some who would say the build-up there is equivalent. So is something like that what would be considered a military base that would invoke a red line as Morrison sees it or not? Uh, I think if he's going to draw a line, that has to be very clear, very unambiguous. Uh, and I don't think we've had that enough detail to make it sharp enough to actually achieve its purpose so far. 
and it's not clear that the Solomons or Beijing would listen to our concerns anyway. But um, thank you very much, Mel. Thank you. Well, the Northern Territory is a place that doesn't get a huge amount of attention at federal elections, mainly because it's home to just two lower house seats and two senators. But at this election, there is a little more interest than usual, due in part to the retirement of a long-serving MP, and uh, both the major party leaders have been in the Territory. To discuss this, I'm joined now by Rick Hind from uh, ABC Darwin. Hi, Rick. G'day, James. So there are two lower house electorates in the Territory are either at risk of seriously changing hands from the Labor Party? Look, probably not. Uh, Lingiari, which is Warren Snowden's electorate, he's Mm. been on the ballot at every election since 1987 and he's held the seat for all but two of those years. So it will be strange to see no Warren Snowden, Mm. but uh, Lingiari has a candidate, Marion Scrimger, who's an extremely well-known quantity. She's been a cabinet minister in the NT parliament. Uh, She's a stalwart of the Labor Party. She's run the Northern Land Council, as everyone calls it, the powerful Northern Land Council for the last few years. And then she was announced as the candidate soon after Warren Snowden announced he was going to retire. Uh, She's facing Damien Ryan, who's a longstanding Mm. mayor of Alice Springs. They're both well-known candidates, aren't they? They they certainly are, and that is quite rare for NT federal election candidates to have have known quantities in both of the major parties. Uh, Damien Ryan ran in the 2020 election and lost in the NT election, and uh, it's usually the case that you go from uh, higher levels of government to local government rather than the other way around in the NT. Our our current uh, Lord Mayor in Darwin is Conrad Scarlett. He was a former cabinet minister in in uh, the NT Parliament. So Damien Ryan is not a rock star candidate. He's a very solid sort of public performer. But uh, that would be the most likely seat to change hands, even though Solomon is mm. traditionally seen as a more as a more marginal seat. In Lingiari, though, major parties kind of face difficulties that they don't have in other parts of the world. I'm thinking of parts of Sydney where major parties can tell block by block who who might vote for them, where they need to win swinging voters. In Lingiari, sort of, it's a lot of guesswork, isn't it? They sort of don't know in many cases. Lingiari takes up all of the Northern Territory apart, apart from all of Darwin and, and most of Palmerston. Mm. It also includes Christmas and Cocos Islands. And there's these, few, there's these three suburbs in Palmerston that are usually conservative voting. They're actually in Lingiari. Right. So they, they might have an impact on the result. But traditionally, the remote parts of the Northern Territory heavily vote Labor up to three quarters of the electorate will vote Labor. And it's hard to tell how many votes that will be because, because not everybody votes. Mm. Uh, only about two thirds to three quarters of the electorate actually votes in federal elections. But it means that the major parties don't have a great idea who's going to uh, poll well and which, which parts of the electorate will poll strongest. So Damien Ryan is hoping that he'll get a big vote in Alice Springs. But Warren Snowden in the last election, he won that town, which is often seen as conservative. But there's a growing number of Greens voters in Alice Springs, which might affect the results as well. Mm. And then you've got this weird situation where the outer, like the peri-urban area of Palmerston and uh, the Darwin rural area, as it is called, which traditionally votes conservative, is actually included in that electorate. And that part of it is growing. We've heard a bit from other parts of the country in this podcast so far. What do you think are the major issues for Territorians this time around? Because it's a very unique and very diverse community, as you've uh, already outlined. Yeah, in Sol- Solomon's very much a uh, an urban seat. So it, 
some people call it Canberra in the tropics. So there's a lot of public servants. There's a, a lot of uh, uh, commuters. So all of those factors that affect urban seats are very similar to the rest of the country, even though the seat's much smaller. Mm. In Lingiari, remoteness is the main issue. So whether you're talking about uh, telecommunications and the NBN being not up to scratch, or if you're talking about access to um, medicine or the NDIS, these are all real issues for a lot of voters in Lingiari, whether they're working on cattle stations or mm. living in a large remote Indigenous community. There's always, I mean, I found it when I lived up there, Rick, there's always some healthy scepticism in the top end of Canberra and Canberra's uh, the way it meddles in Northern Territory politics, particularly after programs like the Intervention. Um how big of an issue, just to take one, would be constitutional recognition uh, of Indigenous Australians? How big is that playing a role this time around? Not a huge role. I mean, mm. one of the most uh, prominent spokespeople uh, for constitutional recognition is Thomas Mayer, who's a unionist uh, from Darwin, and he's uh, he's actually taken the Uluru Statement around Australia and shown people it. I've I've seen it. To, he showed it to me in Alice <laughs> Springs, and uh, and he is a prominent. Spokesperson for Indigenous recognition, but I don't know if it's actually necessarily going to play a, a big role in the election. One of the things from the intervention is income management, and mm. there have been promises made by Labor there to scrap the cashless debit card, but there's something called the basics card that's been around in the Territory since the intervention. It's deeply unpopular among remote Indigenous people because it does prevent access to a large chunk of your welfare payments. Labor's promised to scrap the cashless debit card and that kind of uh, hip pocket issue for a big chunk of people in Lingiari would have more resonance at this election, partly because constitutional recognition, it, it's not really a massive partisan issue mm. in the Territory. It used to be, but the country Liberals have have sort of softened their, their conservative rhetoric. So I'm not sure it will play a massive role in either of the electorates uh, in the Northern Territory. So, Rick, are you seeing a lot of door-to-door -door campaigning on the ground or is it kind of lower key this time around? Oh, we really have because the candidates have been settled for quite a long time. We've mm -hmm. seen them out and about for the best part of a year really campaigning hard. Uh, there's a thing that might sound strange to people uh, from elsewhere, but waving at traffic has actually been a campaign technique that's been quite widespread in the Northern Territory. It was it was really pioneered by Natasha Griggs, who was the member for Solomon uh, when Tony Abbott was around. And yeah, she would sit at Tiger Brennan Drive, the big, the big uh, commuter road into Darwin and wave at people. And people in the CLP told me it was effective. They, they thought it was a good use of her time. But the rest of the time, we haven't seen a huge amount of debating yet. That will happen later in the campaign. We have seen a lot of the candidates with the sort of the, the senior people coming up from, from down south. And there's been a lot of money thrown around. Uh, Scott Morrison spent a lot of money on law and order issues in Alice Springs, where it's a really live issue. And of course, in the budget, there was the $2.6 billion for port facilities in Darwin, but there's a huge amount of scepticism about uh, bellicose uh, defence spending announcements in the Territory, and that will, it'll be interesting to see, considering how much money has been promised, how much that will be campaigned on by the local candidates. 
I love it. I, I think it should be mandatory to have more MPs wave at traffic. I do remember that from my time there, and I think that's it. A... It is very startling, and I mean, it is intriguing for for us in Darwin to see so many federal politicians this early in the campaign. Mm. Uh, quite often, people will come up during the weekend, and for some reason, that seems to fit their flight schedule. So there'll be a sort of a minor minister up in the weekend, but to have uh, the leaders here so often. Yeah. Can you say why there is more interest this time around? I think there's interest in Lingiari because Warren Snowden's retiring and because I think that they sort of see some inherent maybe uncertainty in that seat with the subdivision that has now that little bit more of Palmerston. Um, and it is early in the campaign. The leaders have got to get to all the different parts of the country and I think that they're trying to knock off uh, places like Darwin now and uh, they might end up back in Alice Springs bouncing through on their way to WA. But I would imagine that later in the campaign, Northern Territory might be overlooked, overlooked a tiny bit more, maybe because there's just not that many seats you can win there. There's two. Um, and mm. as you mentioned, it's unlikely, I think, to change hands. But uh, it is interesting. Definitely the Territory's got quite a bit of attention uh, pretty early. And this podcast will be back tomorrow. And if you've got something you'd like to ask us about the campaign or the leaders or the issues that are being discussed or even the issues that aren't being discussed, please send us an email to australiavotespodcast at abc.net.au and we will try to answer as many as we can on Friday. And uh, if you like this episode, please tell a friend and you can download our other episodes where we've checked in with other parts of the country on the ABC Listen app right now. I'm James Glenday, and until next time, thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.